0: Can an emu kill you like a way an ostrich can? No. I've never heard of someone being killed by an emu.
1: <laughs> can you hug an emu? I hug my emus every day,
0: multiple times. That brings me so much joy.
2: Aw, to hug an emu. Maybe the closest experience you can have to hugging an ornithomimus, the feathered theropod with a toothless beak from the late Cretaceous. Technologists believe that some type of ornithomimid left the emu-like footprints on the main track side at Dinosaur Ridge. Hello, I'm Erin LeCount, Education Programs Director at Dinosaur Ridge, and today on the Land Before podcast, Fossil Histories and Paleo Mysteries, we're talking turkey. We're talking all kinds of birds, both ancient and modern, and we're getting into their dinosaur-like features. We're delving into the question, are birds dinosaurs? If you aren't sure you know the answer, by the end of the show you will be. We begin with my conversation with Dr. Cynthia Norgren, a neurosurgeon who teaches chemical and biological engineering at the Colorado School of Mines. She serves on our board of directors at Dinosaur Ridge. She's also a master falconer with a lot of bird knowledge. We recently got together to riff on the flying animals of the dinosaur age, which includes reptiles and ancient birds, and to talk about what modern birds have in common with those long extinct airborne critters. When
3: ornithologists look at dinosaur bones, uh, they have found about 100 features in common between birds and dinosaurs.
2: Birds evolved from small raptor ancestors, essentially, the the dinosaurs that led the way to the raptors.
3: That's why when uh, feathers were discovered on dinosaurs, it was amazing, because only birds have feathers in our world. But back then it was different. And there were flying reptiles. Sure. Yeah. You know, the petrosaurs and all this, and they were flying reptiles, and they're not related to the dinosaurs. They're a different branch, and the reptiles are not warm-blooded. And, and and then you have dinosaurs with feathers, and how did that all happen? And now you have birds that were there with the dinosaurs, but they're different birds than what we have now. And so trying to put all that together,
2: I mean, it's fascinating. It's a cool web. It's, it's definitely, because they have lots of connections. We find pterosaurs have feathers. Four different types of feathers on their bodies but they're not related to birds. So then you have to think about the origin of feathers.
3: Feathers could have developed independently in three different three different totally different uh families or orders. I mean they're not even the same uh, different species they're they differ quite a ways up and I mean like eyes. Eyes developed in 20 different ways. And so it may have all happened independent of each other.
2: So a convergent evolution instances, because we see that with flight, right? You have different flight in these animals where pterosaurs rely not on feathers for flight, but the skin between their, their arm and their leg, right? Their body. Uh, we are starting to find dinosaurs with long fingers that have feathers. But their flight was actually stretches of skin, similar, more similar to what we see in a bat and in a pterosaur than we see in birds. So the more we find, the cooler, you know, the cooler the story gets.
3: A bat wing is different than a bird wing is different than an insect wing. Very. So these things happen independently.
2: But when we look at modern day birds, especially predatory birds like the raptors and the falcons and, and the eagles and the hawks, and owls, what's the easiest parts that you see that are the most primitive parts of the dinosaurs that held over it?
3: I think it's easiest to see it in the meat eating birds, the meat eating birds, or the predatory birds, than in a songbird. Uh, I think In it depends on who you you are reading as to. But the, the basic knowledge is whether you're looking at the ornithology books, the books on birds, or the paleontology books on dinosaurs, or the evolutionary biologists, how they all look at these things separately. But when you look at um, dinosaur physiology, especially the more current dinosaur physiology, uh, you look at a Patasaurus, and there's no way they can breathe if they had a mammalian lung. There is simply no way that they can bring air all the way through that neck into the lungs and then all the way back out because there's too much dead space. So they have to have an avian lung. And looking at birds, you don't think that they have different respiratory system, but they have a completely different respiratory system where they breathe in, it goes into one sac. And then when they exhale, the air goes into another sac and then they inhale and that original air goes into yet another sac and then they exhale and then that finally that air goes out. And so that they, they really extract a lot of uh, oxygen through that process. And that, that's the same thing with the Patasaurus now. So when you look at like bird physiology where they can shunt blood to different areas and they can uh, expose areas of their skin by moving feathers around, so that they can they can get rid of heat. You could see that maybe dinosaurs kind of had the same kind of different things where they could try to get rid of heat by shunting blood maybe differently, or uh, if they did have feathers, they could move feathers around so that, that it could expose some of the bare skin underneath, which would be thinner skin, and would be able, to, uh, heat would be able to escape. That would not be very good if the Earth warmed up after Chicxulub or whatever. And um, uh, we had the uh, greenhouse effect. Dinosaurs would not be as good at it as birds would. So birds could be able to survive that, where I think dinosaurs obviously couldn't. Some dinosaurs had beaks. And the beak, uh, there's all kinds of things that the beak does. The beak isn't just a mouth. Uh, some of the uh, the birds, uh, tropical birds, have these big beaks, like a toucan has this big, huge beak. And they can shunt blood into that beak and get rid of heat. When they get too hot, they can get rid of heat. And when they get cold, a bird will tuck its beak under its wing because it can lose heat through its beak. And especially the big beak birds, they'll they'll put them under their wing to keep warm. Uh, So even uh, dinosaurs with beaks and and these funny hook-like jaws and things like that um, are very bird-like.
2: There is a, a transition early in the Cretaceous, around 120 million years ago, where you actually start to see true beaked birds and pygostyles show up. Uh, The pygostyle show up on the end of the tail and shorter tail feathers and not having long tails. You see display feathers start showing up rather than, I don't need the tail for balance. I'm going to use my tail for other things. So you have these long peacock-like tail feathers that start showing up on these early Cretaceous birds in China, like the Confucius ornus. And it's, it's really cool to see how much diversity there already was in birds before we got to the modern birds that we see, which is ten thousand plus species strong today. The ancient birds had tails.
3: Modern birds, you know, they they have the uh, style, right? And so it's just a little the, the parson's nose on a turkey, right? It's just that little bit at the end, and their tail is feathers. And the ancient birds, they actually had a long tail, bony tail, with feathers on it.
2: Yeah, I call it the fern tail, right? Because it's, yeah. it's like the tail is the stem and the feathers stick into it just like the leaves in a fern. You see it in Archaeopteryx.
3: Right, and, and then when you look at the ancient birds, they had teeth. And their teeth were actually in sockets. And so it, you know, it... it uh, uh, and they were bo- in both the um, upper and lower jaw. And so that changed as well. So the ancient birds died out, the dinosaurs died out, but the modern birds came from the thecodonts on up mm-hmm. and, the, and uh, the theropods and followed through that where dinosaurs were a branch, but you know birds were there while dinosaurs were there. Mm-hmm but they're not the modern bird. They, right. they were very reptilian type birds, even though they weren't reptiles, they were warm blooded. And as you move through that mishmash of evolutionary tree with disasters happening, and then trying to pick it up after that um, with the development of the beak and the um, changes in the uh, wrist bone of the birds, and even dinosaurs, no matter what, they didn't have that back th- back claw.
2: It was off the side of their foot. They had it a helix, but it was it not was off the functional. Side. It yeah. was
3: and that meant that the ancient birds were actually perchers. They were up in the trees, and they were perchers. And because they had claws on their feathers, they were also climbers. They could climb up the tree. And it may be that they got out of the way of the big guys and sat up there, had their nests up there, and eventually learned how to fly, and became the
2: birds. The species of birds known below the extinction layer when when there were dinosaurs, and half as many actually made it and are found above. So birds took a hit, but they survived it. They were able to cope. The smaller-bodied birds were able to cope because they have those special kinds of feathers for warming and insulation. And it's cool. It's a cool thing to think anything that survived the extinction is very cool. Uh, Us included. Mammals also made it, thank goodness, or we wouldn't be sitting here talking about birds. Thank you for talking with me today.
3: I appreciate it. Thank you for asking me. This,
2: This was a lot of fun.
3: Thank you.
1: My name is Jim Watson, and I volunteer as a docent at the exhibit hall Dinosaur Ridge. I often try to imagine what certain prehistoric creatures might have sounded like. We have a hanging pteranodon model in our exhibit hall, and I imagine such a living creature making these sounds while flying over the Cretaceous period seas. I think of them sounding a bit like many other soaring creatures we have today. Kind of loud screeching sounds. Since some pteranodons had large crests on their heads, this feature might have helped to amplify the sounds. Anyway, this is how I think pteranodons might have sounded like.
2: Imagine giant flying reptiles soaring around with a wingspan of up to 21 feet across. They would probably not make great pets. But plenty of people keep reptiles and birds, even large birds, including our gift shop manager at Dinosaur Ridge, Billy Burgess. Among his many pets are a pair of emus. These Australian natives are having a moment, appearing in TV ads for Liberty Mutual Insurance and gaining thousands of followers on social media, where people are watching the plight of an emu named Emmanuel Todd Lopez at Knucklebump Farms in Florida recover from avian flu. Emus seem to have so much personality, yet appear to be primitive. Katie Bradley, a member of our education team, paid a visit to Billy's ranch to find out what it's like living with these large flightless birds as pets. Where are we exactly? Because we
0: are we are not in Denver. We are quite far out. I'm seeing a tumbleweed uh, roll in front of me at this moment.
1: Right. So
0: we're in Agate,
1: Colorado, part of Elbert County, Um, eastern Colorado, all plains, no trees, dry and dusty.
0: And we got a full sun and no clouds today. And we are walking up to a gate and I am seeing some amazing creatures. (laughs) They look so cool. Two dinosaurs. Two dinosaurs. (laughs) Oh my
1: goodness. The one with the tuff on his head, that is Sawyer, my male right there. And it's kind of weird because he kind of looks more male-ish than the other one. That's Annie right there, my female. And you can tell the differences. Like Annie has a longer beak. Then Sawyer does, and she has a bit more of a hump on her beak than Sawyer too. But yeah, the tufts on the head, pretty
0: much the easiest way to tell them apart. Okay, Sawyer and Annie, how did yep. they come into your life?
1: When I moved here, you know, I joined a Colorado um, farm group on um, Facebook, and someone was selling emu chicks, and so... Like you do. Right, like you do, and I was like, no way, I have to have one. So my husband wasn't in full support of it, but I ended up getting my I ended up getting Sawyer, and it was it was amazing. I got him when he was three months old. Okay. So very fragile. You know, like I raised geese, I've raised baby geese, ducks, chickens, turkeys, guineas before, but he was like triple the size, and with emus you got to watch out for their legs. You know, that's one thing that's when they're babies, it's very um I guess I, I guess the word's breakable. So with emus especially him being in the house and we have tile floor, I had to exercise him in the basement where we have cement or outside because one slip on um a slick floor, he could rupture a tendon, break a bone and pretty much that's it for them. You know, there's no real Cast or yeah, stick exactly. Injury. Yeah, because that's where they stand. So that's where all the weight goes. It was a lot of trial and error with him. You know, whenever he slept, I screamed and I ran. Oh, my God, are you OK? For <laughs> and then when Annie did it, I was like, you're fine. Brush yeah, it off. You're good. That. Right. <laughs> Maybe that's why she's so crazy.
0: <laughs> so they almost look softer they do but i mean they feel tough i mean like that that's a good coat yeah insulated coat
1: exactly so sometimes um when i come in in the morning sorry that's how they poop
0: (laughs) all one hole like other birds (laughs) yeah Yeah.
1: that cloaca very
0: green exactly (laughs) but yeah sometimes when
1: i come um in the morning to feed them You'll see, like, the heat rising from them.
0: Because it's like, this is like a survival feather, not just a fluff feather. I don't know if that's a scientific description. Well, it's
1: not like a flight feather, you know. It's just there to... It's for camouflage, you know. Um, And, yeah, to help keep them insulated.
0: And their feathers are gorgeous. I mean, these are beautiful creatures.
1: They are. And their feathers aren't like normal bird feathers. So they kind of look like how I would assume like a dinosaur feather would look like. You know? Um, Because they are a bit hollow and branchy. They have like a wing, but on the tip of the wing, they have a little claw. So kind of reminiscence of like a dinosaur because you get that little talon on it.
0: I can't stop staring at their feet because I feel like if I took Sawyer to the ridge, I could put his foot in the allosaurus track on the boulder because it's got the the classic theropod qualities of the three toes all pointing in the same direction and that middle toe is longer. Yeah, We have tracks from an animal called Ornithomimus at Dinosaur Ridge, uh, the track site, the number one dinosaur track site in North America. Usually in tours, we compare to an ostrich. We say, just imagine a tail and claws. But the emus... Feet and anatomy is a little bit different from an ostrich, right? It is. So I probably wouldn't. Um, I'd say they more resemble
1: an emu's feet. Ostriches kind of have like a club foot. So if you if you ever get a chance, I would Google emu feet, ostrich feet, and you can see the difference.
0: So I'm curious about their routine and food feeding habits. So they get fed twice a day. Um, I
1: feed them a mixture with mine. If you talk to emu people, they feed them a wide variety, dry cob, um, emu pellets from Missouri, um, all flock, and then scratch. I mix it together and that's what they get.
0: Okay, because I know ornithomimid being an omnivore, eating both plants and animals, are emus ever eating? bugs or you know, picking apart other animals maybe. So I
1: have I have seen them go after grasshoppers. So definitely omnivorous, but you know, I tried to feed them eggs one time scrambled and they did not give a crap. Too close to home maybe? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They love chopped up apples, blueberries and animal crackers. <laughs> Which is why I buy a lot of them.
0: Do you have any kind of calls or rituals that you do with them for, like, enrichment?
1: You know, I run around with them in their pen.
0: (laughs) I want to see that. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Wait, do you chase
1: them or do they chase you? You No, they chase me. So what I do is I grab a dog toy, I grab something, and they flip out by it. They're like, what the hell is this? And they get all in the dancing, jumping up mode.
0: So would you say emus have zoomies? yes yes they do that makes my heart swell (laughs) emus don't wear anything
1: like dangly no earrings no nose rings because they'll rip them right (laughs) out. they love shinies
0: they are amazing so how long do emus live typically in a a loving home like five to ten years
1: in the wild 35 in captivity
0: annie and sawyer will be here for a while they will be here for a while so we have a male and female here so there's probably potential for a future generation Um, so sawyer and ann are almost a year old
1: and so hopefully by next year they'll be at breeding age um sawyer already does his low drum call
0: so when we get the call that means he's kind of coming into like a puberty exactly yeah their eggs are
1: gorgeous though. They're like a dark green teal color.
0: Now, before you go getting any ideas about buying yourself an emu chick or two, these pets are not like your average cat or dog. You've already heard about their diets, but their size and need to run and jump calls for a lot more room than your typical backyard.
1: My emus have an acre and a half. Um, For the fencing, five to six, maybe to eight, emus can jump over if they get startled or scared. Whenever they see me or they see my car when I leave for work, they'll run along the fence line and do circles. And, then, and when they see me, they do the same when I come home.
0: Emus have been clocked running up to 30 miles per hour. In the wild, they tend to live in pairs, but can sometimes be seen in larger groups the Australians refer to as mobs. They
1: come from Australia where they are native. And there was actually, I'm not sure if anybody's heard this, but the emu wars in Australia. Go on. So from what I've read, it was a bunch of farmers going against the emus. Because I guess when the settlers first got there, it was just like overrun with emus. So I'm pretty sure the emus won that battle, though.
0: And they've
2: won our hearts, that's for sure. (laughs) Okay, time for your podcast pop quiz. We like to give a test at the end of the show. Question number one. We know some dinosaurs had feathers, but did they fly? Question two. Were the ancient birds living at the time of dinosaurs actually reptiles, unlike birds that live today? Final question. Are modern birds the descendants of dinosaurs? Okay, let's see how you did. The answer to question one, were there flying dinosaurs? There sure were. Small carnivores like Microraptor from the early Cretaceous of China. They had wings on both their arms and their legs. Question two, were ancient birds part of the reptile family? Ancient birds were reptile-like in that they had long bony tails, teeth, and reptile-like hips, but they weren't reptiles. They were warm-blooded, like their dinosaur ancestors. Finally, question number three. Are modern birds dinosaur descendants? All birds are a type of modern dinosaur. Modern birds are actually descendants of branches of the ancient bird family tree. But those ancient birds did descend from a group of small carnivorous dinosaurs in the mid-Jurassic around 160 or so million years ago. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the podcast on the platform of your choice. And listen up next week when the Land Before podcast, Fossil Histories, and Paleo Mysteries digs into an area of technology, helping us better understand dinosaur diets and ecosystems. The study of coprolites. That's a scientific word for poop. And we will continue our conversation with Dr. Norgren on birds, specifically falcons and what it takes to become a master falconer that cares for wild birds. This is nothing like a pet parakeet. These birds are raptors and a protected species that requires special training and commitment to keep. Do you think you have what it takes? Listen and find out, and we'll see you next time. Jeff LaMontagne is our
0: supervising producer. Kristen Kidd is executive producer. Aaron LeCount is our host. Michelle Howell and Alice Olson are regular contributors. Our theme song is by Hansdale Sue. And I'm Katie Bradley, sound editor and sound engineer for the Land Before podcast, Fossil Histories and Paleo Mysteries, produced at Dinosaur
3: Ridge in Morrison, Colorado. Come and visit us.